0: is Chelsea Higgs-Wise, and I decided to start a show about being the biracial girl who was living her life, being half and half, never picking a side until one day the world informed me, girl, you're black. I'm from the... Listening to Race Capital with Chelsea
1: Higgs Wise and Kat Maudlin Jackson.
0: Good morning, Kat. Hello. It's great to be with you. Yeah. Day after primaries, hopefully everybody got out, cast their vote, had their voices heard. We're recording this the day before, so we're not quite sure about what the election results are, but I'm sure everybody went out and
1: participated.
0: So what you been following up with the news, Kat? Anything interesting?
1: Yeah, so this past weekend was Pride in Washington, D.C. Yeah. My friend went, and she left not riding high, but absolutely terrified after there was a shooting scare.
0: Right. I mean, I was watching the social media feeds from all my friends up in D.C., and it was terrifying to see and hear that they had no idea what was going on, but they were literally just huddled together and just terrified, waiting for what was going to happen. And hearing that it was an active shooter out, I can't
1: imagine what was going on in their minds. She said there was just chaos and confusion. People were stampeding one way, and then after a few minutes, people started going a different way. And we were talking about how unprepared we are as a society for these kinds of events. And on the one hand, how can you prepare for it? You can't really prepare yourself for somebody breaking and entering into your house or anything like that. But we're at a point to where we do not have to condone, but we probably should acknowledge at some point that these mass shootings continue to happen. Right. Perhaps it's time to take some measures to- Prepare
0: ourselves, yeah. right? Like not just think, oh, it's not gonna happen to me. Things are gonna get better. This isn't my reality. No, This is just how and where we live, especially in these big gatherings where there are tons of people. I remember after 9-11, that was our big worry of any type of large gathering was there going to be another terrorist attack. This is the same mindset except for we're thinking about domestic terrorism. Right. Which is just harder to conceptualize and, and swallow as a whole when you're going to celebrate something like pride and being together in a joyful time that just the slightest bit of commotion makes us think and trigger us that the worst is happening, that this is what's going on. So what
1: was the final report of exactly what happened up in D.C.? Washington Post reported that 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 a man had a BB gun and Mm. somebody saw the BB gun, not really clear, but there were sounds of, it sounded like a gunshot, not clear what exactly that was. But I mean, it was enough to terrify a group of people and to get them moving in a really dangerous way. And I know that people were injured Because of Mm -hmm. the movement. Right. As a mother of a five-year-old, I'm thinking now having this conversation, is this another
0: conversation I'm going to have to have with my kid? Like when we're going out in public, going to big events, if this happens, if you hear this, this is what we do. I guess this is the world that we live in, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, speaking of just teaching our kids and having those hard conversations, a big topic that's been going on, especially in the black community, is the Netflix series, When They See Us. Mm-hmm. And shout out to Ava. I mean, everybody, we need to protect her at all costs for telling these stories. But it is a four-part series on Netflix that really takes a deep dive into the criminal justice system, all the way from law enforcement of how our kids, our constituents, our community members are approached to the legal system and how that comes out in court to what really happens to the families. It's not just that one person that's on trial. It breaks up an entire family, entire community, and really finally highlighting what's happening within our prison systems and how people are treated, how they have to survive. It is a story of the Central Park Five that five young people under 18, one as young as 13, was accused for raping and assaulting a white woman, a jogger in Central Park in New York, and many people know this because our current president, Donald. Trump played a big role in taking out an ad to say that these boys were guilty, they deserved the death penalty, that he was really using media. Like he is now to drive a point to criminalize people of color. We know that they were since exonerated. Somebody came and actually confessed to that rape and assault. There was DNA that was founded during the investigation that did not match any of the five boys and that DNA did match the person that confessed. They were exonerated I think in 2001. It still took until 2012 for them to get the payout of about a million dollars for each year that they were in incarcerated. But that happened in 1989. It's 2019. And many of us are still just hearing the story and understanding the impact that that case had on an entire culture, on an entire community for black people, people of color, that's been a big conversation of, do we watch this? This is our reality. We don't need to see this. Many of us heard the Central Park Five story just because it was part of our upbringing of understanding what culture is, what law enforcement means to somebody, what it means to us. Literally, when they see us, they see a criminal. They see grown men, even though they're 13 years old. There was a case recently, and I wish I had it in front of me, where the police officer said that he had no idea that the boy was only 16, and it's the idea again that we're hearing our youth are treated as adults and they're seen as adults they're not given a childhood they're not
1: given a chance for that the Central Park 5 case highlights that and another thing about this series that's significant in terms of storytelling is there was the Central Park 5 documentary by Ken Burns back in 2012 I think but that was told by a white man and now you have Ava in here and she is a woman of color she is constructing a narrative that's told from within the community. But that is really important. And I was happy to see that she was able to get a platform to do that. Mm -hmm. Because in the media, there is still, in spite of all the conversations that we hear in the media about the need of representation for women of color, we're still not seeing it a lot. We're seeing a lot of talk, but we're not seeing a lot of walk the walk. So I was really happy to see her. Right. And it just shows that people of color, storytellers, we
0: need to just step out. Ava didn't pick up a camera until after she was 40 years old. That's something that strikes my heart all the time, that it is not too late to go and do what you want to do, especially if it means making space for our stories, our voice, just our bodies in places that we're not normally there and we're not normally highlighted. So this is a big deal for her. It's a big deal about the impact because, again, the world knew that these boys were innocent in 2001. They didn't get their money until 2012. Well, it's 2019, and that prosecutor, Linda Farstein, is now only just being consequenced for pushing these boys into the incarceration unit. So they are now really getting the justice. Yes, they were free. Yes, their criminal record was dropped. Yes, they had to pay out. But justice is also targeting those that put them there. Linda Farstein was the prosecutor that was there, the woman that was determined to make these boys the monsters that the media was framing them to be. And she refused to go any other way except for these boys who were guilty. She went on to write books, novels. She's on nonprofits and boards. Well, not after this Netflix series. She's not. She's getting dropped from her publisher. She's getting dropped off of boards. So, 18 years later, after we knew the truth, it took media. It took a Black woman with the voice, with the platform to make this story mean something to people and to get into our hearts and minds, which is really media. Sometimes it's not just truth. It's not just the justice system that has to come out and say yes or no. It's the people's voice. And that's why it's so important for our media stories to be honest, to be truthful, to have space for all of our voices, because now we are finally seeing justice because the white woman that had her hands in this, that had the power, that took the authority is now feeling what it feels like to have to step back into her place and face the truth. This is what happens when you treat people like they're animals, when you don't see the humanity. So justice is finally prevailing. As we continue to seek justice, we're watching more and more of our Black trans sisters lose their lives. I think it's the ninth woman that has now been found dead. This past week, Chanel Skurlock was found in North Carolina. Apparently, family members and fellow activists say that she went to confront someone about some Facebook pictures that were going back and forth on how she identified and people figured out that she was born biologically as a male and things got out of hand. We're still not really sure what happened, but she was 23 years old, 23 years old, and we are still losing our sisters. So I just wanted to say her name Lift her spirit and remember that we can't only look at what's happening within our own communities, within our own neighborhoods of people that we know and realize that we're still losing a lot of these black voices that we're saying need space and need a platform. Chanel Skurlock could have been our next Ava, right? RIP. Rest in power, Chanel.
1: On a brighter note. Okay. Let's go to Mexico City for a minute. Okay. Where Mayor Claudia Scheinbaum, Mm -hmm. sorry if I said your name wrong, Claudia, said that children no longer have to wear gender-specific uniforms. Really? Yeah. And a quote, she said, boys can wear skirts if they want and girls can wear trousers if they want. Look at that. Go ahead, Mexico City. Yeah. Even this past couple
0: weeks ago, my daughter is in pre-K and her pre-K school sent home. It was spirit week and it was like, boys wear capes, girls wear tutus. Good Lord. Yeah. And so I know that this preschool is sick of me. My daughter graduated last week. So I in, in the heart of their hearts, I know those teachers are also celebrating that they're not going to have to see me again. <laughs> I've been up there about all sorts of things. And even in the journal, this past situation with the tutus and the capes, I just signed it, your favorite parent activist, because I know at this point that they're just tired of me. But it was really important to me to write in there that if you're going to have this type of event, you don't have to specifically say boys or girls girls, you can just say wear capes or tutus and leave that up to the, the choice of the parent and the student. And yeah, damn sure I sent my kid to school in a cape. What about both? Hello. I mean, I would want both. Me too. Why not? That would make that perfectly. But yeah, it's just these deconditioning that we continue to have to do. But shout out to Mexico City on that. Something I definitely wanna bring up is the special session that's coming up on gun control that Governor Northam has called. Yes, it's in response to the Virginia Beach shooting. I think this was a timely response on what he could do. But Kat, I'm gonna be honest with you. I think that this is scary and risky to bring the legislators back together. Cause yeah, they can talk about special session on guns, but you know what they could also talk about? Abortion. You're taking a big risk bringing everybody back together right now. they could come out with something totally different than what we went in with gun control. So keep that in mind, y'all. This may not be great for us. And talking to a lot of politicos, they're really surprised that he impulsively jumped this way. Because I can already tell Kirk Cox is out there making moves. I'm worried. We don't get a lot of what we want anyway when we come in with progressive policies. So we could come out not only not with what we want, but something worse. Everybody's up for election in November. Hello. By the way. Hello. And speaking of November, November 5th is also probably going to be the day that we are electing a new Commonwealth attorney in Richmond, Virginia. City Council voted last week to petition that special election to also happen November 5th. Mike Herring has resigned as of May 31st. He's joined the partners as a partner over at McGuire Woods. If you remember, that is the state law firm that investigated the Northam-Yearbrook picture. That's comment and conversation for a different day. So I guess probably congratulations is in order because I'm sure he got a big old promotion. But this means that we currently do not have a Commonwealth Attorney. The Deputy Commonwealth Attorney, Colette McKeachin, is the interim. And she has also announced as of last week that she is going to seek that seat. She has been a deputy prosecutor for over 10 years. That name that you recognize, yes, she also happens to be the wife of our congressman right now. But keep watch as we look to this Commonwealth Attorney race. And as we look within our own city, make sure we're watching what else is happening across Virginia. Northern Virginia is having some amazing conversations about Commonwealth attorneys, why they're important in Arlington and Fairfax. Justice Forward is a pack that is led by prosecutors that are working to organize other prosecutors to take accountability for the role of their job historically in locking up black and brown communities and criminalizing black and brown communities and placing progressive people within those spots to intentionally dismantle the policies, the practices of that seat. So I'm really hoping that. Colette is also having those conversations about how we can do that here in Richmond, specifically as we even talk about transparency and accountability, specifically with our policing here in Richmond that we've had a lot of conversations about. And this past Monday, RTAP, Richmond Transparency Accountability Project, even stood at City Council and shared their voice about the SOMA Global technique that's coming that has the predictive policing and that has known to continue the practice of over-policing in Black and Brown communities. So here in Richmond, we've got to be having that conversation conversation with our commonwealth attorney just like they're doing up in northern virginia we can't be left behind So we'll keep watching on everything that's going on and keep everybody up to date, uh, specifically about the upcoming races. But today on the show, we're really excited to have Omolade Janine Bell. This woman is like a mother here in the community of Richmond, the cultural ambassador to open the gate to African ancestry, to our roots, not just mine as a person of color, but here in Richmond, the roots that
1: tie us all together just by being in this place And today we're going to hear about Juneteenth which a lot of people don't know about. Mm-hmm. It is a big, big deal in Houston. It celebrates the emancipation of enslaved Africans who basically were not allowed to know that they were free right. after the Civil War ended. So it celebrates their freedom. And it happened in Houston. It was enslaved Africans in Texas near Galveston. But it has everything to do with Richmond. Right. And so she's going to tell us a little bit about that and also about the celebrations that are coming up this weekend in Richmond, Friday through Saturday. Saturday.
0: And Juneteenth is June Nineteenth, but we are having the celebrations this coming weekend. With us today, we have Omelade Janine Bell. Hello. Hi, Chelsea. How are you today? I'm doing really well being able to look in your eyes. Hot dog. That goes both (laughs) ways. Reciprocity. Oh, goodness. It's a real pleasure to have you on the show this week and tell a really important story of our place. And I think it's really important that our listeners know who you are. And especially if you're in Richmond, especially if you're in the United States of America. (laughs) Race capital is not just uh, Virginia. Here in the formal capital of the Confederacy, our history is significant. Yes. So welcome, welcome. Thank you so much. It's my honor to be here. So tell our listeners a little bit about you.
2: Well, I've been in Richmond for a lot longer than I thought I would be Mm. upon my initial arrival. I founded the ALEGBA Folklore Society, which is a nonprofit cultural arts and education organization. We have a cultural center.
0: So you are right off Broad Street. Tell the people where you are.
2: We're at uh, 101 East Broad Street. That's right at the corner of first and broad in the center of the city we want to invite people to come and visit us in the cultural center visual arts and material culture where people can touch feel collect wear mm-hmm.
0: every mm-hmm. earring mm. has a story come on how about... long have you been there now i mean you you've been there forever since i know just riding down broad street when that was just part of <laughs> it was just part of being young honestly and what you did on the weekends i remember your shop always being there so how long have you been right there on First and Broad in Richmond?
2: We've been there more than 20 years now, maybe almost 25, mm. right there. And so when I look on the tourism maps, I see us in the center of the city. Yeah, And so when you think about Elegba from the Yoruba Cosmology, the Orisha intercessor who opens the roads to bring clarity out of confusion, who guards the crossroads. We're right there at the crossroads where you have to make... <laughs> a choice. You got to go somewhere. Hopefully you're making a clear choice, an elevated choice. Mm. Alegba who speaks from the spirit world into the physical world. I think that it is divine that we are located at that place in this city.
1: Mm. I wanted to ask you about the significance of Alegba to Richmond. There's nothing else like it in this city.
2: (laughs) Wow. It's very humbling that you would say there's nothing else like Elegba Folklore Society in the city of Richmond. We are a full-service cultural arts and education organization and perhaps the only organization of its kind in Virginia. And when I say full service, it's because, you know, people can hook in to cultural education, cultural enrichment, affirmation and information, different ways. So in the cultural center, it's material culture and visual arts and things people can touch and wear and so forth, collect, put in your house, put in your office. But then also we have festivals, three a year. Yeah. How do we do that? I don't know. <laughs> but no. thank God we can. Yeah, that's... We have performances, classes, workshops, and we got cultural history tours along the trail of enslaved Africans and other notable sites. There are so many places In Richmond's history, that's just sitting here. People pass by every day. They don't have a clue about the story. Or in many cases, the black architects who made the building. So we want to tell it, tell it, tell it.
1: So one of those three festivals that you mentioned is Juneteenth, right? It's coming up soon. Yeah. Juneteenth,
2: a freedom celebration. And it's a celebration of a holiday. Now don't run to your calendar (laughs) because you might not see it there, sadly. But Juneteenth has a history that is really tied to Richmond because, well, let's go back there, 1865. Well, you know what? Let's go back even a little bit further before Mm -hmm. then. Because Patrick Henry at the church up there on Broad Street, St. John's Church, in 1775 as a delegate in the legislature, petitioning the legislature to separate itself from Britain. We don't need to have this colonial relationship anymore. We got this. We can do it on our own. And he was very adamant and passionate about likening the relationship to chains and slavery. That's a quote from his speech while he had Africans enslaved on his Hanover plantation as he spoke. And so in 1776, they got their wish. July 4th came about, and a part of the configuration was then this transatlantic trading route from England to Dahomey, now the Republic of Benin, to Richmond. But in that process, Virginians got a little tobacco action. Okay. But England got the most of the wealth. And the legislators were saying, wait a minute, we want all that. And I mean, I can appreciate that. We all want to optimize our financial state and being, but not with your foot on my throat. So in that process, by by 1776, we have July 4th, Independence Day. Ooh. All the flags are waving.
1: Yay, we free.
2: Yes, but... By 1778, Patrick Henry was the governor of Virginia and one of the first laws to be enacted under his governorship was to stop the importation of Africans from the continent into Virginia. So mm-hmm. you first might think, oh, yeah, we don't need to do that anymore. That's benevolence. But no, that was an economic decision so that Virginia then became a breeding state, an up-south market, with now Richmond, because now by 1780, 88, I'm not the historian, I'm the folklorist, so I might be a little off, 1780, 1788, the capital is now in Richmond, the one that's on the hill over there right now that Thomas Jefferson said he designed from a temple that he saw, a Roman temple that he saw in France which is really a fine example of Kemetic architecture. Kemet is the place the Greeks renamed Egypt. So that capital that's sitting over there is Af- <laughs> actually African architecture. <laughs> that's another story for another day. Um, so, so with <laughs> Richmond then at the center of this decision. So July 4th for African people only took us deeper into enslavement. It stopped the international trade, mm-hmm. but it introduced the domestic trade, where Chaco Bottom mm. then furnished the entire Deep South of unpaid black labor. That Main Street station is down there oh. because there was a rail that rolled in and out, bringing Africans to the market, taking them to their new destinations. So the history is really quite sorted and largely unknown for everybody. And that's the sad reality because in the church, we say Uh the truth will set you free.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's also another show. Yes. So Juneteenth then- And mm. before we we go too much into Juneteenth, I wanna stay on the Richmond Breeding Center, Mm. right? And what impact that really looks like downtown? And was there like, you know, one or two slave auctions that were happening at the time? What did Shaco Bottom look like?
2: Shaco Bottom was dense with dealers of African people. Some were auctioneers of black people for real. They put a flag out to say this was the auction day. Some kind of put it a little bit underneath and they might sell corn, coffee and black people. Some right now on Cary Street, I don't know if this is the case, but there's a building that has commission merchants in the sign freeze. Mm-hmm. Some of the dealers call themselves commission merchants. And so Chaco, the Colombian building was a was a site for mm-hmm. sales. So that's Chaco slip on in the Chaco bottom The dozens of dealers that existed there, a lot of the places were enclosed by tall fences so that the passerby couldn't see what was happening. But that was what Shaco Bottom was. And trading African people was the number one economic industry in Richmond. So quite naturally, Richmond was all about the Confederacy. Naturally. By the time 1861 came and therefore became its capital. And so I I sigh because it's my family mm. that we're talking about. My mothers, my fathers who live through all kind of manner of atrocities every day of their lives. I mean, if you can just imagine, even now their sensibilities because people are in pain and pissosity about so many different things for so many different reasons all across the socioeconomic spectrum. Right. I mean, we have joy in life because it's the God in us. But navigating through where we are is a, is, a sto- is a challenge that has historic undergirding that we haven't really fully been made aware of. So there's a disconnect on how we got to where we are. So 1863 comes. Abraham Lincoln, Emancipation Proclamation, more so as a military intervention so that black men enslaved in the South could come and join the Union Army. But he couldn't just liberate the men, he had to liberate everybody. Except that down in Texas, cotton country, what are we all wearing right now? Cotton, cotton, cotton. cotton. I'm sure African people, astute as we are, knew the things that were going on. But by threat of the whip and the lynching court, et cetera, et cetera, we were mandated to those cotton fields after January 1st, 1863. So it was on or about June 19th, 1865. Now that's even after Backtrack to Richmond April 3rd, when the Union Army came and effectively shut down the Confederacy and therefore shut down enslavement, as the 3,000 members of the United States Colored Troops. If you can imagine 3,000 black men walking up Main Street, Mm. so proud, we got this, we endured, but now we are triumphant. I've read stories about mothers who lined on the streets. Whose children had been taken away from them, I mean, taken away right. from them as five, six, 10 year olds. And those mothers who saw their sons in those ranks, hmm. all proud grown men hmm. coming like, I'm coming to get you, mama. They opened up the jails down in Shaco Bottom and said, We are here and we're handling our business. So now we're two months later down the road, people in Texas still. And later on even Grant and Lee met and signed the papers. People in Texas still working picking cotton. Right. But relentless. So General Gordon Granger of the Union Army sailed into Galveston Harbor on or about June nineteenth and issued the edict that finally made everybody who were owning black people mm-hmm. to stop. So while it wasn't Mm self-determination in the truest sense, it was the America saying emancipation has finally come. Right. To everybody. Right. The last of African people are now free. So therefore in Texas is a big holiday. It's a big party. Everybody celebrates. They know what's going on and they're happy about it. And so are we. That's a
0: beautiful story.
2: Kind of. (laughs) Kinda. (laughs) Because, I mean, we're standing on the shoulders. Yeah. Those people lived that life so we could live a different life. They saw us coming.
0: It's important to tell the story from the eyes of those proud soldiers and those proud mothers rather than from what we read in the history books, which is so black and white, and it makes us believe one thing that just happened and we can continue to move on. But to hear a story of humanity and emotion, family, To see us as humans, to see our ancestors that we pull in strength from as the humans that made it possible for us to be here, it's important to see the stories through that lens.
2: And it is, in fact, a story of humanity. I'm glad that you said that. Because then everybody can feel it. Mm -hmm. Because when African people came here on those ships, it was as if we were subhuman beasts. Right, right. The way that we were perceived, the way that we were treated, the expectations, the manacle conditions in which we were physically transported and the places that we were made to stay and the kind of work that we were
0: made to do and the relationships that were torn apart. Those places are right here downtown, the, the Manchester docks. Chaco Bottom, the places that you walk every single day is where those stories happen. This wasn't, this isn't something that, something a documentary or that you just kind of have to know about American history. This is your Richmond history of the breweries, of the festivals. This is the steps that you walk on. And so when you are traveling all over the world, trying to learn history and thinking of, oh, how many bodies or different stories am I walking on in these foreign places? And you're going to Germany and having these different conversations. You're walking and living in a place and space that hasn't had our full story told. But it's important that we highlight just even one story. This is Juneteenth and understanding that we have an amazing role in this, and it's important to teach this. This is an education issue, in my eye. Yeah, it is really.
2: So that's the that's the challenge of everything that the Legbaw Folklore Society does, because right. we have to educate people.
0: Right. No, and that is <laughs> your role. They'll Truly. Truly.
2: Oh, let's go to this. Right. Oh, it's tiring, but it's so necessary. <laughs> right. Because wake up.
0: <laughs> no, really, for real. How
2: many people have come to the Society's Cultural Center who live in Chaco Bottom right now, and I just say a little bit, and they're like, really? Yeah. I had no idea.
0: Yeah. We got our kids going out to Williamsburg every year but aren't taking the trail with you. Mm -hmm. Aren't walking literally that right, you can see it from the places that you're having your festivals and your parties.
2: We've had grown men on the trail, who were born and raised in Richmond, never lived anywhere else, Mm -hmm. gray hair. Mm -hmm. I never knew any of what you have shared
0: with me today. That's an atrocity. And we're sitting here talking about representation matters, diversity, inclusion. How do we even get to the root of representation if we don't know who we are and how to even see ourselves? So what in Richmond, what does a Juneteenth Celebration look like you can give so much to the community, and I don't know how you put on three festivals a year, but you you hold it down. So, but why tell us why Juneteenth? Why is this important for Richmond, and what does this look like?
2: Well, it's important because of of the conversation that right. we're having right now. Right. It's important as a as a conduit for storytelling. So on Friday, it's Friday, it's uh, June fourteenth, fifteenth, sixteenth, as close to June nineteenth as we can come. So it's it's a mixture of the serious, and the party, because we need both. So on June 14th, we have the symposium. This year, uh, ironically, we're in the Main Street station.
0: It is important (laughs) and intentional in your place. You better stand there and reclaim that space. I'm not mad at it.
2: And our keynoter is Dr. Malefi Kete Asante. He is the founder and president of the Malefic Kete Asante Institute, a think tank in Philadelphia. He is the chair of the Temple University Department of Africology and African American Studies. He is a leading authority on African culture and history, pan in a pan African sense. Mm-hmm. He has authored nearly 100 books. His most recent coming out is 400 Years of Witnessing. Mm because this is where we are, 1619 to 2019. And he's gonna bring it. He's very personable and he's so deeply knowledgeable.
0: Doors open at 6 p.m. on Friday, June 14th. Yep, yep, yep.
2: And so it's a Friday night. Yeah. We don't want it to be too heavy, but we want it to be heavy enough. So we'll have some food. We'll have your favorite beverages, (gasps) opportunities to shop in the Freedom Market. Hmm. The Alleged Bar Folklore Society's performers will be there. We got Uh, some jazz.
0: You didn't even mention the performers yet. I mean, that is something (laughs) that, like, oh, the performers, yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll be there, do a little something, something, you know, for the people. Always. And so all the information is on our website, of course. Then on Saturday, Claiming Space mm. and Storyline, Independence Day Our Way. It is on the flyer. Yes. 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 Intentionally. Yes. Obviously. At where? The Manchester Dock. Come on. Yes. Is it a remote location that people don't know about? Yes. Yeah. But we're going to put some signs out mm-hmm. for you to go on down there by the river. Mama Ocean. <laughs> The Powhatan River became known as the James with the arrival of Christopher Newport from England in 1607. And we're going to have DJ Drake. Mm. So get your party on, <laughs> bring your dance hips, shake them to the east and the west. Before that happens, though, Malefi Sante is going to facilitate the Get Woke Youth Summit. Mm. So people up to 20 years old count for that. Come on in there, sit down, get some information in your head, knowledge is power. Mm -hmm. We'll have some games, some craft making, art making, food, shopping. We'll have an African dance workshop, an African drumming workshop. Lift up the vibration
1: Mm -hmm.
2: throughout the afternoon. We start at 3 o'clock. Okay, But then at dusk, we're going to light the torches (sighs) for the night walk along the trail of enslaved Africans, sharing the words of our ancestors in their footsteps, how many African feet have stood on those shores and walked down that path and into Shaco Bottom, the historical record characterizations of the day, just in honor and just in being in oneness. One woman told me, I was getting my party on, matter of fact, mm-hmm. and I was at the club and I was wanting to pay my money. And the woman who was taking the money said, oh, you're the woman who does that? juneteenth event i said yeah 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 and she said well my mother walked with you this year and she said because she wanted to do it before she died wow so you never know the impact yeah that you're making and so we intend at the highest level with the money we have to work with Mm -hmm. with the highest level Mm -hmm. to present to people
0: engage them immerse them
2: in themselves no right
0: so on saturday the walk and the trail that's free it's
2: free it's free and we got water for you we got buses to bring you back to your cars
0: this is truly a chance for an experience at the right time the right place the right people yes i want to thank you for creating this space this is (laughs) keep going Yeah. so that's that's saturday that we have a full day friday night saturday starts at 3 p.m at the manchester docks Mm -hmm. and then what do we have going on sunday so
2: then on Sunday, we return to the African Burial Ground. We conclude at the African Burial Ground on Saturday night. We return there in the daylight at 3 p.m. on Sunday, where we then have an opportunity to pay homage to our ancestors. There are no markers there, but the vibration is there. The energy is there. In being embraced in African spirituality from the position of IFA, which is the spiritual path of the Yoruba people who are in parts of Nigeria, Benin and Togo in West Africa, and also here. And ILE, the Obafemi Institute for the Divine Study of IFA will be there to guide us in ritual and ceremony. We're asking people to wear white, to bring an offering for the altar and to just sit and allow love to just come to you so that you can turn it around and give it back out to all people who are gathered there. It's a beautiful, beautiful, refreshing
0: time. Can you tell people where the African burial ground is? <laughs> people really may not know. Yeah, and that's right. That we need to start with the basics and make sure people understand the space is inviting, it's for you, and have all the access and information to feel like it's easy for them to be part of this
2: well the easiest thing to say is that it's at 16th and broad streets and so 16th street where is that mm-hmm. so after you cross come ahead of east on broad after you cross the interstate look to the left, left. and down and there's a cobblestone road right there and If you're lucky, you'll see the sign that says 16th Street. If you're coming westbound on Broad, just before you get to the interstate, we're there. If you know something about Chaco Bottom and know the Devil's Half Acre, on the other side of Broad Street, you can just swing around in there, like at 15th and Franklin, Mm -hmm. near Main Street Station and park there and just walk through the tunnel. Right, underneath. Underneath Broad Street. Mm -hmm. We'll have some chairs there, we'll have some water, beautiful (laughs) music and good vibes.
0: I think it's important, too, for people to make the connection because we talk a lot about just history and place and space in Richmond to hear how to reach such a sacred space is through and under, back and forth in an interstate.
2: Mm -hmm. Through and under and back and forth. When you look at maps dating back to the 1700s, because the thing that's really significant about the African burial ground is that the first Africans who came here are interred there. Now, what happened when the interstate came through? Exactly. To a lot of places and people. But so that makes it an an extraordinarily sacred space. And you look at those maps and you see it there and it, you know,
0: wasn't the best land, but it's it's been there a long time. Right. And it's right here in Richmond that it's you right can downtown.
1: explore. Mm-hmm.
0: And you probably walked back and forth going to Chaco Bottom,
1: grabbing a drink, having a good time on a sunny day. And you never knew. You never knew. Why don't we know in Richmond? Why don't we know about Juneteenth? Mm <laughs> hmm. <laughs> You
2: know, none of this about how African people came here is pleasant. Nothing about it. There's nothing good in it, and so there's a lot of guilt around it. But people don't like to deal with guilt. You go to therapists for that. Mm. People don't like to deal with that. They don't like to deal with man's inhumanity to man, especially if it came from me to you. People don't like to deal with that. I can I can understand. It's hard. That is hard. But the truth will set you free. Mm. So it's nobody shining a light in anybody's eyes, pointing a finger in anybody's face. It just is what it is. Right. So now let's talk about equanimity. Let's talk about access and equity Mm. and not on just one person's terms all the way on everybody's terms. Yeah. The Allegbaugh Folklore Society is in a great location, but it's a matchbox mm-hmm. in that location for 20 some years. We don't have the huge building and the endowment and the so-and-so and such and such, but why not?
0: Right, why not? How How in the world have we let this continue in one space and not be able to grow and tap into that? We talk about tourism all the time in mm-hmm. Richmond. Mm-hmm. And in Virginia. And the amount of money that black tourism makes in Richmond is awful and go- ungodly because we don't understand or see where that goes. And it maybe doesn't seem to be we're not tapping into our strengths. And sometimes even now when you're saying the truth will set you free, I'm wondering, I wonder if they want us free. Mm-hmm. And we're talking about capitalism and greed and looking out for ourselves and survival. And I understand guilt. I understand and talk about white guilt even and some of us that we don't present as white we have we have white thoughts the whiteness the conditioning of whiteness the conditioning is something that we talk about and we experience and fight through but even in our education system that's why we brought up this is an education issue right because it's not in our our books it was intentionally taken out of our textbooks you can read the history specifically in Virginia where they went through and stripped out the history and put in the celebrations of the Confederacy. We talked about putting money into places like Williamsburg instead of places like Alegba. Like is that, where's Rich and Public Schools on that? If we're talking about equity and that education. But there's only one of you, right? And that's why it's important to be able to have you cultivate something bigger in a pipeline. Unfortunately, we are all mortal. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and how, what happens later when you're not here when we're not here what does that look like and what is our duty in that but I I appreciate that you take this intentional time to make this space for people to celebrate and to learn and your time and your energy as as a black woman I I want to put that out there too is that it's always black women holding it down especially here in Richmond and understanding who our legacy is who that looks like I feel strengthened spiritually When I came to
2: Richmond, it wasn't so much a mental choice. It was sort of like I was led here. I mean, I got here through physical reasons, but I didn't know that part. But when I reflect, it's like I was led here, and then I accepted an assignment. Hmm. I did not raise my hand and say, pick me, pick me, because it is an uphill walk every single day. And the terrain is rough, and some days I don't have shoes. But I'm I'm so grateful if anything that we've done at the Alegba Folklore Society has been meaningful to anybody. And by now I I guess I'm happy to say well not I guess I'm happy, I am happy to say that we've seen the generations. So we have young adults who say, My parents brought me and so I'm I'm here and I wa- and I remember this happened and you came to my school and I remember this happened and I want my children to also know things. So, you know, I think that's important and prayerfully there will be a succession plan so that the society will indeed institutionalize if people feel that it's important. And it's not and it's not just me. I mean, you know, I, you know, there there we have a team of people who help because they just see that the work is significant and necessary. And I'm so grateful to them. Mm -hmm. And that's what it is. We have our site set on Juneteenth, 2019, a freedom celebration. Mm. And we invite all of our listeners to come out all three days Mm. to enjoy and to somehow leave us differently than you came. Mm.
1: Happy Independence Day. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Happy Independence Day. And for our listeners, where can they go online to get more information?
2: Thank you so much. Please visit the Allegaba Folklore Society's website, EFSINC.org. corg E-F-S, like Allegaba Folklore Society, I-N-C.org. Go to Facebook. Mm-hmm. There's an event, Juneteenth. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter, or you can call us on the telephone. Uh-oh, 644-3900, 644-3900. Perfect.
0: And next up is... What's Your Privilege? What's Your Privilege is a segment on the show where we invite the guests to identify what their privilege is and how they use it to disrupt the system of white supremacy.
2: When you talk about privilege in a self-defining way, mm-hmm. I think just, you know, in the choices that we make, how we show up. And sometimes show out for me to self actualize in spite of and because of. Because I can. My grand my granddaughter says, Yeah, yeah, why the so and so and so and so? Because I can and I'm saying, Well, you know what? That's right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, so yep. you're right. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and mental health and, and our actual local hospital, the way that they train a lot of their behavioral health counselors is that looking at children, they will behave if they can. If they're set up in a way and they have the resources and pieces accessible, they will do what they can.
2: Yeah, and a lot of times that's just opening our own way. You know, a leg bar, once again, opens the roads. Mm. Sometimes you got to have a machete. And sometimes you just got to have determination. I'm just going to step on out there.
0: I feel like it's a privilege for me and for us in Richmond to have you in Richmond, right? Because you are a history, an American U.S. history, right? Like this is something that we should all be learning across the country when it comes to Independence Day and our freedom and, and just American narrative. And we have you so accessible at our fingertips. That is a privilege to us in Richmond. Wow. Access is a privilege. Access to education is a privilege. We wouldn't have to get a hotel room and travel and organize to imagine folks that don't even, never even get close to accessing the fact that this information exists. Right now, when you've been touched and open and realizing that this is so tangible and it can take with you, that's what I... I push out to what your privilege is so you can understand that access matters and where you sit and those individual decisions that you just talked about every day. You can see and understand where you stand, literally, at different intersections of capacity and access in Mm -hmm. this world. And this education piece is so important to us and to young folks as they imagine and envision their future. And what are we doing when we're not intentionally putting that in and including that conversation?
2: Yes, absolutely. Privilege is recognizing that we're standing in the field of potentiality and limitless thinking. We're not in a box. We're not outside of a box. We just are. And so that sense of freedom is what we don't often really experience or believe in the day-to-day aspects of life. Mm. I mean, I'm still trying to get it, too. It's a work.
0: It is. Just talking about what's your privilege, I I, I want to keep pointing the privilege of the access to you something you said to me that I continued to just push in my head. And it was something so simple that no one's ever said to me is like, stop asking permission or waiting for permission, you know, of, of, oh, they're just waiting for, you don't need to. It was just, it was like, I just don't ask for permission. And it was just the way and your day-to-day behavior and and the way that you can look at someone and say they're either asking for permission or not, they're still waiting for permission. And a lot of that can come in different ways of education too, but.
2: And there's a fear that's wrapped up in that, right? Right. And really in this whole conversation, fear is the elephant in the room all the way around if I don't want to talk about guilt if I don't want to talk about shame if I don't want to talk about history all the way around then there's a there's a fear about that right but on the opposite side of fear the the fortune could the fortune cookie said one time
0: (laughs) on the opposite side of fear is desire so just do it just do it push that curiosity What's coming up after Juneteenth? What else do you say? Three festivals a year. So tell people, what are those three festivals a year, by the way? Well, next up, in
2: terms of festivals, we'll have the Down Home Family Reunion, the 29th annual Down Home Family Reunion, a celebration of African-American folk life. So it has a story because (laughs) it started as a program we designed for the Museum of the Confederacy. You know what I'm saying? Shut up. Okay. <laughs> so back in the early, early 90s, it presented an exhibition before freedom came. Uh-huh. The first time it talked about the black side of the question. And it was really a well done exhibition. And they reached out and asked us to create and present the interpretive programs, the outreach programs. Uh-huh. So I got to go in the dream machine and put together eight or nine different opportunities for people. And one was called a family reunion. Mm. And the idea at that time was just to, well, not just to, but to look at the family separation. And sometimes family separation was down the road or in places that were kind of reasonable, like Henry Brown and his wife. They were in Richmond, but they were owned by different people, Henry Box Brown. So there were a lot of those kind of stories like that. But on a day off, like a Sunday or something, there were opportunities for, and see, but even as I'm saying this, you know, there were opportunities for permission was given to have a few hours to come together Mm -hmm. after that you got okay it's over so to just kind of look at those kind of scenarios and what kinds of things that people enjoyed in a perspective of folk life so the relationship with the museum ended and we took the program a leg folklore society on its own and so then it became more so of a bridge builder across the water Mm. so what about African traditions, folklorically, do we see as African-Americans and diasporic Africans because we have the Caribbean and South America and other places as well. And so we try to put those things into the event in music and dance on the stage, in site demonstrations that people can engage in. Of course, we have the heritage market. We have a whole other stage where children are the performers. And so they get to show themselves and, you know, be on in front of an audience. Food is there and, you know, it's a it's a fucking good time. Huh.
0: So one question that I always get like slide in the DMs. No one says this on public boards, but like, can white people come to these events?
2: Yeah, they can come. Mm-hmm. They're open to the public. I mean, you know, in our mission statement at the society, we talk about first reinstilling cultural foundations in the African-American community because that's key. So much has been lost mm. and we need to remember and be whole. And then we also talk about building bridges of understanding to the broader community okay. because what we don't know about ourselves, people outside of our community don't know about us. And so if there was more of a sensibility, then maybe it'd be easier to have some of these conversations so that the false notion of white supremacy can begin to dissipate and we can just re restore and all be in that common humanity
0: and supporting that this space is created for certain people to learn about themselves and but white listeners white supporters want to still support you what are ways that they can do that where can, where can someone find a way to make sure that they are supporting a work they're supporting the juneteenth event they're supporting the down home family reunion what are some other ways to make sure that these stories and education are happening
2: Well, there are several ways, really. I mean, you can show up Mm -hmm. at something. You can come by and have a conversation and, you know, see what resonates with you. You know, that's sort of person to person. Financial support is always appreciated and needed. Yeah. Equity. Equity. Green money helps to make black and white Mm -hmm. elevate. So that's very important. We have organizations who want to just come and stand with us. They might make a donation mm-hmm. and say, we want to stand here and learn more about the truth that we are becoming.
0: Can they Go. invite you in? Can they yes bring you and do definitely. presentations to their own orgs or definitely. talks? And maybe not right away, right? Sit and speak with you about what their mission is and their, definitely. their choice. But that is something too that it, it's maybe the space creation in a public sense isn't always there for them, but you are for hire. And that is against, again, part of this equity conversation and yes. learning and that work. So thank you for that availability as well. Definitely. Thank you for your availability today coming on the show. Oh, thank you for asking me. It's so good to see you. Likewise. Thank you so much for being here. And thank you for sharing the information about Juneteenth, June 14th through the 16th, that everyone can really learn some history, have some fun, and mm. get to know our neighbors. There we go. It's for the family and for the community. Thanks so much. Thank you.
1: Watchmen! Watch me, I got it
0: So Mama Omalade is amazing because she is creating space for June 15th to have the torchlit night walk on the Trail of Enslaved Africans. And this is such an experience, but it's also a place that is open for anybody to visit at any time during the day. The Trail of Enslaved Africans is located down Maury Street on South Side. Literally get on Maury Street and go all the way down to Ucanymore. And you're like, where am I going? These look like plants (laughs) and I'm getting lost. No, no, no. Just keep going straight down there and you will find the park and you'll start seeing signs for the slave trail. We like to reframe that and say the Trail of Enslaved Africans because, again, these Africans were not slaves. They were enslaved. Uh, Thank you, for Mama, for really talking about that and changing our language on that. But Omalade is creating that space. This is not just our city's landmark, but it's our nation's landmark. It is our monument. It traces back to where many of our ancestors first stepped on our soil. One out of four Black Americans' heritage can be traced to those docks because of Richmond's involvement within the trade of enslaved Africans. This is a national monument? And how are we maintaining it? How are we taking the time to learn about that place and space? These are the questions we have to not only ask ourselves, but ask our city. So it's important for all of us to make time to see one of the most impactful spaces and places in our country, which is the Trail of Enslaved Africans. It is the monument that we all need to make sure we're investing in, speaking of, and really amplifying in order to tell the truth about our history here in the year of reconciliation and civility.
1: Absolutely, and you make a great point, which is that monuments do not have to be structures, right, or physical buildings.
0: Don't have to be the marble, the the things that you can see from miles away these commemorative and sacred spaces can look and feel differently. And that's
1: important because it's going to reach us differently. Right. I mean, look at the way that battlegrounds are treated in Virginia. I grew up in the 757 and everywhere you can throw a stone, there's a Revolutionary War battleground (laughs) that's really well maintained, that's really well cared for, and that is used as an educational site. I mean, we would visit them every year throughout the year in elementary, middle and high school. Right. And Omolade
0: has been taking these walks since before there were markers on the trail, before the city recognized that we needed a document, something out there to tell that story. This place has always been amplified by folks like Omolade. So it's incredibly important that we also say, how do we support the people telling those stories? How do we invest in that? Looking at how much money we put into maintaining and keeping Robert E. Lee lit on Monument Avenue, and then also going over to the Evergreen Cemetery, where many of our Black American heroes are buried and you can't even find their tombstones. They're being sold to major foundations because no one's upkeeping. Our value of our history also comes in the form of investment, and that's what we all have to think about: is what is our role and our voice, and making sure that we are investing in a true history here in Richmond, Virginia. That's all the time we have on our show today. It's been great chatting with you, as always, Kat. Yeah, you too. We'll catch you all next week here on Race Capital. I'm from
2: the.